Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest, John Follis. He spent the first seven years of his career getting fired, and then the next 25 getting famous. Despite his rough career start, he eventually co-founded a Mad Avenue agency that, in three years, became one of the most awarded agencies in the country. John was also selected as one of Madison Avenue's 12 best by the New York Ad Club. John's high-impact creative has helped sell everything from Coke to God, and his high-impact campaigns have been covered in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Forbes, Time, and the Harvard Business Review and Apprentice Hall Marketing Textbook. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Lance. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's an honor to have you. Um, I've got a I've got a slew of questions here, and but before we kind of get into um, some that you know you sort of suggested, um, tell us how you got here. You know, are you from a fan, family of entrepreneurs? Are you the first? Um, where does that come from? That entrepreneurial spirit. Well, it. It must come partly from my family background because I do come from a family of entrepreneurs, totally different industry than the advertising industry. But uh, growing up, I would hear stories around the dinner table about my dad talking about his his business and his entrepreneurial experiences. So I'm sure that had some influence on what I did. I, I don't think I realized that until um, I was in the corporate world and had a lot of problems dealing with the corporate politics in that environment. And uh, either in spite of or because of the fact that I was kind of weaned uh, growing up, uh, being influenced by a parent who was an entrepreneur, I don't know, but that may have had something to do with it. Yeah, sure. And and it sounds like so that when you were in that corporate structure, was it more of just sort of a lack of freedom that you had within that, that kind of made you you know, blossom into this independent entrepreneur? Is that sort of the, op, you know, being the opposite situation? Well, um, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm, there were a couple of reasons. I, I I think you mentioned, did you mention in the intro, I got fired four times in seven years? Yeah. And I want to hear more about that, obviously. Oh, okay. Well, um, you know, I, <clears throat> I um, thought that to be successful in the advertising business, it really, really came down to my creative talent. I came up on the creative side, both as a designer and a uh, originally as an art director, but um, developed a, a writing for copy as well. And that was part of the training I got at Syracuse University, which was one of the top advertising schools in the country. They really stressed whether you come up on the design side or on the uh, writing side that you have to be good at both. Excuse me. So... <clears throat> um, unlike a lot of my peers who uh, were really exclusively good at one of those two disciplines, I was pretty good at, at both of them. And I thought that that was what I really needed to be good at to succeed, but quickly realized once I got in those environments that there was a whole nother element that I, I was totally not prepared for. And that's uh, the politics, the office politics. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of working at a, at a big company, but it, it doesn't get any bigger than some of the, the big, the top agencies in New York City on Madison Avenue. Those are those are monstrous uh, companies with uh, 
hundreds and, and in some cases, thousands of people. And uh, whether you're good at it or not, politics is a big part of that. And I just was not very good at it. And uh, and the other thing was uh, in, in two of the four times I got terminated, uh, Lance, uh, the guy that brought me in quickly decided to leave the firm for a better job. And that's not necessarily a uh, a a, um, a a death sentence automatically. But when the guy that hires you at these companies isn't there to kind of cover your back and, and help you and kind of nurture you, especially when you're, you know, you're in, in the first couple of years or few years of your business, you really do need someone, you know, just like uh, being on a being a rookie on a football team, right? You need you need someone to coach you and guide you and help you succeed. So in two of those cases, not having that person stick around, I think definitely uh, had an influence of on me uh, not succeeding in those fir uh, in those uh, firms. Yeah, that makes all kinds of sense. Uh, when you were when you were fired each of the four times, I mean, were they all similar reasons or, you know, was there a, like well, a two of them? Line? Two of them were for the reason that I just mentioned. Yeah. And it, ironically, it was the same guy. He hired me at one agency, uh, brought me in, left about three weeks later. A couple of years later, called me up and, and hired me at that agency and then did the same thing. <laughs> so this was this was one of the superstars in, in the industry. And I was so excited to work with them. And then, you know, the second time I said, well, finally, I'm going to get a chance to work with this guy. And it was just a, a repeat situation of what happened. So I just felt like I couldn't win in that situation. And, and the termination repeated itself as well. So uh, the so that was two of the four times. Um, one of the other times the guy pulled me in and he was uh, he was very um, straight with me. He said, John, he said, uh, I, I think you're a talented guy, but uh, a friend of mine wants a job at this agency. He demands a pretty, pretty big salary, and we really can't bring him on and pay his salary without cutting costs other places. So I'll be honest with you. Um, you're kind of the low man on the totem pole, so we have to get rid of you. Mm. And, you know, I, I appreciated his candor. He, it wasn't because uh, he was telling me that I didn't have the talent to succeed. He just wanted to hire his buddy, and he was. I appreciated the honesty as much as I didn't like getting fired. <laughs> the third time, um, I'm trying to remember. Um, I don't even remember what happened the third time. That's fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just think it's okay. From when you got fired the last time, and then starting your own uh, award-winning Madison Avenue ad agency, you know what? How how did you start it? I mean, everybody's got their story about they either. I've heard. So I'm an architect, <clears throat> and I've heard other 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 architects start their own firms and they pull clients sort of away and break off. You know, right. how did it work out for you? Well, I think um, after getting fired the, the third time, maybe even the second time, I started realizing that this, this is an industry that doesn't have a lot of security hmm. and that maybe kind of the, to, um, cover, you know, um, hedge my bets, I could start looking for freelance work. And I don't know if they have freelance in your industry. Um, <clears throat> there are not a lot of industries that offer that option, but in the advertising industry, it's very common. <clears throat> a lot of a lot of companies can't afford someone full time. They've got to solve a problem for a client, so they'll bring someone in uh, 
for a couple of days, a couple of months, or a couple of weeks. And uh, once that problem is solved, they, they say, thank you very much. So <clears throat> I started moving, uh, developing that business uh, at least after getting fired the third time and continued it. After getting fired the fourth time, I said, the hell with looking for a staff job. I'm just going to put all my energy in trying to get freelance because I was um, having a much better experience with that. The, these firms were not big enough or I, I, I was not there long enough to um, be a threat to someone else. So <clears throat> the, the issue of politics was, was really not a factor there. And um, it, was, it was a result of getting a chance to uh, work on one particular account that turned out to be a very successful advertising campaign in New York. It really uh, created a buzz in New York that uh, that not only greased the wheels for me getting more and better uh, quality freelance work, but it also attracted the interest of a of a guy who um, was looking for a creative partner to try to pitch business um, on his own, just the two of us. And um, uh, I um, I was impressed by the fact that he was very aggressive and that his forte was new business, because that was a whole nother uh, wrinkle of 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 uh, of business that I hadn't really experienced before, and it really came down to whether or not I thought he and I were a good fit for one another, and that's something you only find out once you start working with someone. So mm -hmm. I uh, he. It's kind of funny when we met Lance, we we chatted uh, over a beer and uh, I he looked at my portfolio and I looked at his suit and he said, um, I'm really I, I really love your work. He was also uh, very highly referred to me by someone that I'd worked with for about a year and a half. So being very highly referred, I think, um, made a big difference in his his mind. Um, but he said, let's, he said, I really believe we can start an agency together. And after about six, six months, we, we pitched an account that was pretty significant. And uh, we were pitching against four or five agencies. And these were, these were bona fide ad agencies with, you know, a staff of people. And we were basically two guys just mm -hmm. getting to know one another. And we beat out these five other agencies for the account. And I think the account billed maybe three quarters of a million dollars. <clears throat> so when we won that account, uh, we had a conversation said, I think this this could allow us to officially announce that we're we're an ad agency. What do you what what beat out the other established firms? I mean, it's so interesting always when a, how a great, a great, a great uh idea for a TV commercial. Oh, okay. Just came down to the pure creativity of it all. Pure yeah. creative. The, the 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 guy who was running the business was an entrepreneur. Um, he he was trying to compete against a a major competitor. <clears throat> he um said, uh, "I'm I'm bringing you in because I think you guys are 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 really talented creatively. So I don't want to tell you what to do, but if you want it, we've got a main competitor that everyone knows, and no one knows who we are." And we're better than that competitor. So if you want to do something strategically that's competitive against that competitor, that's fine with me. So he kind of uh, green-lighted the strategy that the creative would take. But as far as what the actual creative idea was, that was an idea that uh, 
came from me and another guy that I worked with. And that's what won the account. It was basically what they call a creative shootout. All these agencies present their ideas uh, basically for free. But mm -hmm. the deal is that uh, the one that he definitely, he said, listen, I, I want to spend $350,000 in media. And I'm just looking for the right idea to put that money behind. And if, if you guys win the shootout, you're going to get the account. And we get a commission on that media. Sure. Yeah. Is it still operate like that in today's world of people are doing ad agencies are doing work for free and pitching that way? Or is it started to evolve that, where that's that's a good question. I, I think that that's always going to be the case. And it's really a question of whether or not agencies are willing to do that or not. I think uh, so many agencies are are desperate, are constantly desperate to continue not just to grow their business, but in some cases stay above water. Mm -hmm. So they would, they will do whatever it takes. And that often that's when they'll bring in some freelance work because they don't necessarily want to put their staff people on that. It's, it's speculative work. So they'll try to bring in some freelancers on, you know, try not to pay them too much money, but bring them in for uh, a week or so and say, you've got a week to come up to come up with a great campaign and, um, you know, the client who's getting the work doesn't know that the people who are doing this aren't, aren't staff people on the agency. So it's kind of a, you know, smoke and mirror kind mm -hmm. of thing oftentimes. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, that's uh, architects do about half of that um, in the sense of, you know, putting up work for free and then, you know, hopefully getting the commission later. So I'm just curious about other indus industries. How did the, so the, you got the first commission and then how did the success snowball from there into basically becoming this award-winning agency? Well, um, it's a two-part answer to that. Um, first of all, you have someone at your firm who's a, a, an amazing new business guy. And my partner, um, as good as I was on the creative side, he was as good on the business development side. And that there aren't many people that really excel at doing that. He's, he's one of two people that I worked in my 35, worked with in my 35 year career that I could say were exceptional at that. And he was just like a pit bull, you know, you just point him in the right direction and he, he just would not take no for an answer. So it takes that kind of aggressiveness to begin with. Uh, but he also believed that there was no one uh, that could, show better creative work than what he would be showing that client when he was pitching the client. And we didn't always show, uh, do work for free. I mean, we would go in and try to show samples of the work that we had done mm -hmm. and um, uh, try to win the account based on that. You know, it was only certain situations where we didn't have a choice to show spec work. We, you know, if we wanted to be part of it, and then we had to make a decision whether or not we were willing to do that. Sometimes we 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 were willing to do it. Sometimes we weren't. But so it starts with someone um, like that. But the other thing uh, I think that uh, enabled us, Lance, is that um, just like we're not going to be a fit for every client, not every client is going to be a good fit for us. And what I mean by that is that <clears throat> our brand of advertising was very edgy. It was a kind of work that um, could easily ruffle feathers uh, of some people because it was very bold. And uh, 
that that was something that uh, some clients uh, really wanted because they realize when you're a smaller business and you don't have the the uh, the the money to uh, spend in advertising, you've got to do something that's going to cut through. And there are other clients that were really uh, afraid to do something like that because they didn't want to offend anyone. Mm -hmm. So part of it was not just finding, being aggressive and finding uh, new prospects, finding new clients, but finding the ones that we felt would be a good fit for us. The same kind of uh, philosophy about what good work is. I'm sure you find it in, in your yeah. business. Whenever you find, when I think whenever you're in a creative industry, you know, everyone's got their um, their their creative tastes, right? You know, their 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 perspectives on what good creative is. So we we were we were trying to qualify clients just the way uh, they were trying to qualify us whether we were a good fit. Do you think? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's the same thing uh, in the sense of we are also wanting mutually good fits. I, so I, I resonate with that. Do you think? So you talked about edgy. And in, in where you guys were at with that, and and those kind of edgy messages may be offending um, folks, and so some people were scared of that. You know, different companies. Do you think we're headed in the opposite direction right now, or that advertising is there and sort of with the idea of you know these buzzwords about woke and trying to be all inclusive? Like, have we went the opposite way? I I, I don't know. I mean, it's almost a moot point because it would just be my opinion, and I'm I don't tend to be any authority on pop culture or things like that but uh and quite honestly i i don't i don't really i don't really care <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's just that uh you know uh i don't see myself in the traditional advertising world anymore i mean what were the things we're talking about were things that i uh was involved with in the 80s and the 90s and uh you know what uh, i i tried to keep my fingers on the pulse of the changing landscape. For example, um, I got turned on to the internet in 94 and in 96, my first agency website went up. And I think I was one of the first agencies on Madison Avenue to have a website in, in, in 96. Um, when I started hearing about podcasting in 2005, I said, that sounds cool. And in two th early 2006, I had the marketing show with John Follis. And I did that for seven years. So uh, I also was doing uh, online consulting, like you and I talking like this. I was doing that 2005 with small business owners around the country that just needed my expertise, my marketing and creative expertise via Skype. And we didn't have the video component back then, mm -hmm. but uh, I worked with a lot, of, a lot of clients around the country that I never officially met that just wanted the benefit of my expertise uh, just by uh, you know, initially consulting with them. And then once we agreed on what projects they needed to focus on, then we would switch gears and I would go into creative mode and uh, address, address their, their issues creatively. Yeah. Once you guys overcame the challenge of getting that first client, then snowballing and, and hopefully you know, get, growing with success, what were some of the other you know, bigger challenges that you faced um, with that business, especially in a competitive place like Madison Avenue in New York? I, I just can't even imagine. Um, well, you know, it's it's just you you want to once you get the client and you do that initial campaign, 
you want to keep the client. So you don't want to work with clients that just want you for that one great campaign and then they're set to go and then you've got to start from square one. So it's, uh, it's not over once you win the business because if that client walks out the door, you know, that, that's a lot of revenue, that's a lot, a lot of income. And that's another reason why people like me would lose jobs at a big agency because a big account walks out the door and the agencies would have to cut staff. So you'd have to make sure you keep that client happy uh, after you win the account. And that's always a challenge, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. then, you know, just keeping, keeping, uh, you know, we were very good at press. I mean, one of the things about uh, doing great creative work is that that really greased the wheels to help us promote ourselves by winning awards and getting press that was related to the work that we were doing. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we always had to, again, that was something my partner was really, really good at. Uh, developing relationships with the press and being a go-to guy whenever they wanted to, uh, some some trend was coming along. Just like you were asking me about, you know, the culture we're in. They always want to uh, have people that they could uh, call up and get a soundbite from. So, uh, you know, that's all part of uh, keeping the agency's wheels greased. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it's a constant challenge. It's, I mean, that's a, I think that's probably one of the best ones. Yeah, thank you for that example. You know, people in our in the creative fields that you and I both operate in, a, a lot of times when we're starting out, we get told, you know, you'll never make it or you just don't have that raw talent. And I, and I believe people were telling you the same thing from what I read in your bio. Um, so who, who told you those things? And then how did you overcome those rejections? I would love for yeah. our listeners to kind of right. hear from you. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because um, unlike some people that know what they want to do from the age of seven, you know, I, I always knew I was good. What I was, I was always art, uh, creatively uh, talented because my mom was an art teacher. So growing up, I, I kind of uh, uh, knew that I had that ability, but how I would apply that to a career, I, I really didn't know. So for the first couple of years of my college uh, uh, experience, I was undecided. And it wasn't until uh, halfway through my sophomore year, where I was taking a graphic design course, the instructor pulled me aside about halfway through the course and uh, told me that um, she, she asked me what I wanted to do with my life. And I, when I asked her why, she said, because you're really talented. And I think, you, you know, this school, the, the, the school that you're in right now is probably not a good place for you uh, being as talented as you are. I would really encourage you to find another school that has... Uh, more to offer you creatively so you can pick and choose whether it's architecture or fashion design or advertising or film or uh you know any number of creative uh careers to consider um i'm just encouraging you to consider school and she happened to uh suggest syracuse university which happened to be the school my dad graduated from so it was an easy sell since he was uh paying the tuition uh, to agree to uh, uh, transfer there. So once I was in Syracuse, the exact opposite thing happened to me, mm. uh, Lance. I, <clears throat> the first advertising class, so I was, you know, now in my junior year, I had to complete a three-year program in two years. So I was kind of behind the eight ball. Mm -hmm. And uh, not only did I need to take these courses, I needed to do well in them. I think I needed to do get at least a B to proceed through the curriculum. 
So the first advertising class I took was just like an advertising 101. Um, uh, my, my grades, unlike all these other classes I had taken throughout my previous academic career that I got B pluses, A minus, in some cases, A pluses in, I'm now getting C minuses. Mm. And, and I couldn't really figure out uh, what I was doing differently in this class I was doing from all these other classes. And it just, one thing I knew is that I, I didn't really like the teacher who was the instructor who was teaching. Basically I thought he was an asshole mm -hmm. and he was a New York city guy who came mm. up to teach and he was just the most arrogant bastard that I, you know, had ever experienced. And I, you know, I didn't want to uh, allow that to affect my work. I don't think it did. But when my grades uh, just continued to get worse as I continued uh, through the, through the class, I just I, I didn't know what was wrong. And um, the last assignment was to send him a di direct mail piece. And uh, this was the assignment. And I sent him something that, um, in retrospect, I didn't realize uh, that I. Um, I, I used my uh, displaced anger and frustration and kind of put it into this direct mail piece targeting him that was kind of uh, the end of my uh, any shot of doing well in that class. And he, when he when he received that piece, he pulled me aside and, and told me to uh, I had two choices, either to um, accept the grade that he's going to give me, which he said, I'm not going to be happy about or to drop the class. And this is like with two and a half weeks to go in the class. And it was a hard thing to hear because I needed this class to graduate. And I, I didn't really feel it was much of a choice. He basically said he was gonna flunk me. And as I, I said, can I think about it? He said, yeah, I give you 24 hours. Let me know what you wanna do. So I felt like I had no choice but to drop the class. I thought that was getting an incomplete was better than getting an F. And as I left his office, he said, and one last thing, Ked, he said, uh, you really don't have the talent for this industry. Do not go into advertising. Wow. And that was like a very cold glass of water being thrown in my face and uh, definitely got me to do a lot of soul searching um, during that Christmas break. And if it wasn't for the fact that Syracuse had a couple of others and other instructors teaching the same class, which allowed me to give it another shot with a different instructor, hoping the results would be different, which they were. I'm not sure what have what would have happened. I, I he might have uh, that might have been the end of my advertising career before it even started. Yeah, it's amazing how close <laughs> people come uh, to either quitting and giving up. I was just talking about my wife with the, uh, about this on the hiking trail yesterday. She goes, if I wouldn't have sold you your first house, Lance, I was so close to just not being a realtor. And now she's having a record revenue year. So very interesting. Right. Um, I always feel like not to get too spiritual, but there's a touch of God there and fingerprints and stuff. And so that kind of leads to my next question. I understand you did a campaign for a local church. You got worldwide attention for that. Tell us how you sold God. <laughs> yeah, that was quite a trip. I have to tell you. Um, yeah. So um, when I moved to New York City, uh, I was actually living in Chicago at the time. And I, I, on Sunday mornings, I stumbled across this church that was broadcasting out of uh, New York City uh, by uh, a minister by the name of Norman Vincent Peale, who some people over a certain age might know. He wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. That was one of the all-time best-selling books. He wrote it in the 50s. But his sermons were very uh, uplifting. 
um, it, it wasn't a lot of biblical stuff. It was almost a lot of psychological stuff about believe in yourself and that sort of thing. So when I moved to New York, I didn't know anyone. I immediately got involved with this church and uh, really enjoyed uh, the sermons on a weekly basis. And one thing that I loved about this church was all the programs and activities that it had. And uh, I always felt that if I ever had an opportunity to pick a dream client, it would be this church. So it was kind of funny when you flash forward 15 years when I'm having lunch with one of the associate ministers who for some reason kept asking me about my ad agency. And I finally said, listen, why don't you come up to the agency? I'll show you some of the work we've done. And he came up and he looked around. He saw all my advertising awards and everything, which are, you know, over there. And uh, he, he, he asked me a strange question. He said, does the head minister know about you? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, does he know about you and your, your award-winning ad agency? And I said, I don't think so, but why do you ask? He said, well, because he's actually, he's looking for an advertising resource because I think he's thinking of doing some kind of an ad campaign. So you should talk to him. And I didn't realize it uh, until I did speak to him. He actually came up to my my office and I asked him what he wanted to talk about. And he revealed the fact that his chief financial officer had just informed him that he had $150,000 to spend on advertising and marketing and do something which the minister felt needed to be done, which was to do something to um, put the church on the radar of some uh, 20 something New Yorkers who could care less about church in general and certainly care less about that church in particular and he said i'd love to see what you come up with to do something that would uh put us on the radar screen in a in a very positive way to this this market what do you think you can do and um you know getting back to spec work i normally don't do spec work he wasn't really asking for spec work he was it sounded like what he was asking for was a marketing plan mm -hmm. but because um i knew this church so well i've been a member for 15 years and i was passionate about it i in that situation i couldn't stop my brain from coming up with ideas mm. and i just came in my brain just started sparking with these one liners that i thought would be you know work you know maybe as subway posters or outdoor billboards or things like that so it, it, it i i just couldn't stop myself and i figured well let me let me really go all out if i really want to you know i couldn't think of anything better uh than than selling this this church because again i thought it was a great product and that's what enabled me to uh to get the account i showed them you know basically a full spec campaign and uh, again it was very edgy stuff you know, uh, like one of the he headlines was, um, you don't have to be a sinner to attend our church, but it helps. <laughs> now, yeah. you know, you yeah. laugh at that and I laugh at that. You know, at the time I was uh, when I was presenting this stuff, I think I was maybe 37 years old. Mm -hmm. And I knew that people in their 20s would definitely laugh or at least smile at that. But the minister I was presenting to was like 67 years old. And he just looked at that and said, ah, I don't know about that ad, you know? 
And I finally had to twist his arm and get him to run the ad, but it was, it was creative like that. You know, our product actually does perform miracles, you know, headlines like that, you know, mm -hmm. make a friend in a very high place, you know, um, you know, th you know, things like that. We actually had that headline, make a friend in a very high place. We had that in an airplane banner flying over uh, the New York Giants football stadium during a uh, New York Giants football game. And you look up in the sky and you see a banner that says, make a friend in a very high place. And then the church website. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you for that story. Yeah. That was super unique. And um, that got, and that got great. Yeah. I mean, what I just described got written up in the New York times. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure it turned heads. It had to have. Yeah. I mean, you had, you had me laughing just in it's an old yeah. campaign. Um, well, let's talk about a little bit what you're kind of what you're doing now, John. Um, tell yeah. us about the the, the Fallis Marketing Therapy. T what right. what is that all about? Yeah, so you know, um, being in advertising was was pretty cool in the '80s, and it was kind of cool in the '90s, but not so cool as the '90s uh, started getting into the 2000s because the landscape, the media landscape, was beginning to change. And you know what began in the mid '90s as something? Oh, that's just a fad. That internet stuff. We don't have to worry about that because mm. it was just a small percent of of uh, clients' marketing budgets. As the years progressed, it became a growing uh, part of their media budget. Um, and I could see that um, calling myself an ad guy in the 2000s and beyond was not probably such a good thing to be calling myself. So. If I didn't call myself an ad guy, then what am I? And I, that's when I started calling myself a marketing guy. Mm -hmm. um, and I would find myself interfacing with a lot of uh, entrepreneurs at these networking events and business events. And again, this was in the early 2000s when um, uh, you know Google was just starting to happen and uh, e-newsletters were happening and websites were getting more sophisticated and blogs started becoming a thing. And I found when... Uh, people found out I was a marketing guy, they would all be hovering around me, but just picking my brain at these events. Well, what do I do about this? Do I need to have, you know, uh, a, a, a more responsive website? Do I, you know, they just, they were just totally overwhelmed by this stuff. And I remember one day I got a phone call from a woman and she said, you got to help me. I, I got to figure out what to do with my business. And at the time, Lance, I really wasn't offering a consulting model. I was still offering things um, on retainer, you know? I was trying to find people that had significant enough budgets where they would need to hire me uh, for several months and be paying me every month, or at least a project basis, you know, that for a couple of months they could pay me a project, but certainly not on an hourly basis. I thought that was a slippery slope and probably not a really smart business model for growing a business. So when I got a call from this woman, I. I I politely deflected her request to uh, to meet with her. Uh, and she said, I'll be willing to pay you. And when I couldn't get her off the phone, um, I, I figured, well, let me just um, let me come up with a dollar amount. Let me sleep on it and come up with a, an hourly rate that I think is a fair rate that she's probably not going to want to pay me. So at least I'll give her that that number and that will that'll get rid of her. This was in 2005. I called her back. I said I did think about it. And uh, yeah, I'd be willing to talk to you for an hour. My rate is $250 and, and I get paid up front. So, um, you know, if you can't afford that, I understand that. Good luck. And she said, well, when would you like to meet? Oh. 
and she came to my uh, apartment and she sat on my couch and I sat next to her with a yellow legal pad, asked her what her problem was and she, and she began talking and started talking nonstop for 50 minutes to the point where I had to interrupt her like a therapist and say, I'm sorry, Eileen, but our, our time is almost up. You see, it's almost an hour and we have to, we have to end this now. And uh, I felt like a fucking therapist. And uh, she said, oh my God, I've been talking an hour. Are you kidding me? I thought I've been talking 20 minutes. I, I, that can't possibly be an hour. And I said, well, look at the clock. You know? <laughs> and I said, listen, I'll give you an extra 15 minutes. I don't mind doing that, but we do have to stop you know, in another 15 minutes. I want to give you the benefit of my feedback. But, and she said, well, we, you know, I feel like I'm just getting started. And it was very much like therapy. So she said, we have to meet again. I said, okay, well, that's fine. So when she left my apartment, uh, my mind started turning, my creative mm. wheels started turning and said, well, okay, this is one person in New York City. Do I think there's a couple of dozen other people in New York City, if I can figure out how to package this and put up a website related to this and maybe do a little marketing that I could attract a couple of dozen other people that'd be willing to pay me $250 an hour? Because this is not a bad deal. They come to me, I basically talk, and listen and get you know a, a check up front i could i could live with that you know and what didn't mean i i was stopping doing the other work that i was doing the advertising and branding and stuff that people were pay, paying me to do but i said this could be a nice uh adjunct to another business model that i could continue to grow so that was the birth of Follis marketing therapy and that was how I figured I, you know, and that that the name wasn't just to try to be clever. I really felt it was an accurate reflection of what mm -hmm. was going on with this person. And I said, just I have to come up with a logo, and and, and a couple of pages for a website, and did that. Uh, I, I'm still doing that. I mean, that was back in 2004, starting with with Skype, and um, it's been very rewarding because there's so many uh, small business owners out there that can't really afford a marketing firm or an ad agency, but they still need um, the best marketing advice, even if it's just for a few hours of consulting. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of bigger firms, again, just the way I felt, feel like they can't, uh, uh, they can't sustain their business if they're working on an hourly rate. But um, there are so many people around the United States that still um, need that service. And I love working with entrepreneurs. It's, you know, I, I can empathize with them because I've been an entrepreneur for uh, 34 of my 38 years in business. Um, and I love working with them. So I'm happy to, to do that. Yeah. What an interesting niche you filled. And obviously there was a need for it. Um, I, I can certainly, you know, empathize with that and connect with that 100%. We have a marketing team ourselves, and a lot of it is just pointing us in the right direction. We have these questions of like, there's all these social media platforms, for instance, and just tell us where we should be spending our money. Like, we right. don't know. Um, right. John, very interesting. Um, we're up on the half hour here. I have two questions that I ask every guest at the end. Um, so the first one is knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time when you first started your business, what is one piece of advice you'd give your former self? Um, get good legal advice as soon as possible. Smart. <laughs> I would add on to that of buy as much insurance as you possibly can too, because you never know if you're going to get well, in trouble, right? That's, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I didn't I didn't realize I needed legal help until I was a, in a situation. Um, and, you know, it's, again, as a creative person, you don't you you, you meet someone, you you assume that uh, you're not going to run into legal situations with them. But uh, always to have someone uh, even before you realize you need one. Yeah. So so, you know, you know who to call. 100 percent, 100 percent. Uh, John, thank you so much for your time today. Our audience sure appreciates it. I appreciate it. Where can people find and follow you if they want to get in touch with you for your services? Yeah, well, I'm all over the web um, on YouTube and on Google. So it helps if you know my last name and know how to spell it. Uh, my last, my website is my last name followed by Inc, I-N-C. So that's Follis, F-O-L-L-I-S-I-N-C.com. And that's where that's probably the simplest place if they know how to do that, but they can just pop my name into Google or YouTube and a whole bunch of stuff will come up as well. Beautiful. Thanks so much again for your time today, John. We wish you the best. Thank you, Lance.